On this vote, the yeas are 216, the nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. So that just happened. Brother. Not all that surprising. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, uh, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, or what remains of it. Surprising, confusing, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Actually, our friend uh, Casey emailed just before airtime with the subject line, another planned show down the drain. Yep, he's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> uh, thanks to a uh, completely, entirely, fully dysfunctional Republican Party in these United States for the first time in the history of this country, a speaker of the House of Representatives has been removed from his post. I guess I should say his or her post uh, in this case was removed by his own party, the Republican Party, just in case there was any disinformation out there about who was actually behind this. And I wouldn't want to you know, cast aspersions on anybody's asparagus by saying <laughs> that there might be disinformation about this sort of thing. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. The uh, official motion to hold a vote to vacate the chair was called by Republican Florida Congressman Matt Gates, and it was successful by a vote within the uh, past half hour or so of 216 to 210, with all Democrats voting in favor of removing McCarthy, not a surprise, along with eight Republicans who joined them. And that was actually somewhat of a surprise. There was a question whether 
Matt Gates was going to be able to get anybody other than himself to go along with this scheme, and apparently he was able to get, uh, uh, I guess, seven other uh, fellow Republicans to vote to vacate the Republican Speaker of the House from the chair. For the first time in U.S. history. What a time to be alive. That uh, all, of course, comes in the uh, in the wake of McCarthy allowing Democrats to help him on Saturday over the weekend by uh, the Democrats voting in favor of a continuing resolution that kept the government up and operating at current spending levels for another 45 days. That's it. Just 45 days until the House GOP can somehow, in theory, pass their own annual spending bill somehow, someday, if not before Thanksgiving or so, we're going to be going through the uh, uh, the shutdown GOP shutdown crisis once again that we saw over the past weekend. Just before that weekend vote to keep the government funded for a measly 45 days at current spending levels. Nothing radical there. Just like, let's just keep doing what we're doing until we figure out how to do something else. But uh, just before that vote over the weekend, in case you missed it, uh, in case there is, again, any confusion between what the two parties stand for. And the difference between the dysfunction on the GOP right and uh, the interest in actually governing and protecting democracy and serving the American people that is currently on the Democratic side. Uh, Democratic House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, he gave a speech on Saturday afternoon explaining what Democrats would and would not do as they reviewed this last-minute continuing resolution to continue spending as it has been for a while, uh, to continue it for another 45 days as Republicans worked out their problems. This continuing resolution that McCarthy suddenly put forward to keep the government from shutting down at the last minute, Hakeem Jeffries made it very clear what Democrats were interested in. We will oppose any efforts to cut Social Security and Medicare. We will oppose any efforts to slash public school funding. We'll oppose any efforts to undermine American democracy. We will oppose any efforts to flood our communities with weapons of war. We will oppose any efforts to undermine the progress being made on the climate crisis. We will oppose any efforts to undermine the great American dream. We will oppose any efforts to undercut public education. We will oppose any efforts to walk away from the people who keep us safe at our border and around the United States of America. We will oppose any efforts to undermine the ability of the middle class to continue to thrive in the United States of America. And all we're doing is making sure that we can assess the four corners of the legislation that is before us, avoid a catastrophic government shutdown, put people over politics, and make sure that we can continue the great American dream. That you don't undermine freedom. You don't undermine reproductive freedom. You don't undermine the things that are necessary for every single American to thrive in every zip code throughout the land, in urban America, in rural America, in suburban America, in small town America, in the heartland of America. 
in Appalachia. That's all we're doing. And when we complete our review, we'll come back to the floor, we'll make a decision, and as Democrats, we'll continue to put people over politics and continue America's long, necessary, and majestic march toward a more perfect union. I yield back. That's uh, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries in the House over the weekend. He's very good. Yeah, uh, talking about people over politics. What, well, if you contrast the Hakeem Jeffries, the leader of the Democrats there, with the uh, leader of the Republican House, actually, apparently there is no longer a leader of the Republican House. He has been ousted. Who leads the Republican House at this point? We don't know. But after that speech uh, from Hakeem Jeffries, of course, the uh, Democrats decided to go ahead and support the resolution that was put forward by then House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and keep the government open, as it did not uh, contain any poison pills to cut spending or do anything else uh, crazy that the uh, Democrats were able to find, as they had initially feared. And for that, for keeping the government open, for 45 days at the current spending levels, Speaker, former Speaker McCarthy has now been removed as Speaker of the House for the first time in the nation's history in a coup, essentially, by members of his own party. Though it was done, as it turns out, by a measure that McCarthy himself had agreed to uh, to allow with uh, fellow Republicans in exchange for winning the seat in the first place as speaker back in January. Uh, one of the uh, agreements in that uh, one of the elements of that agreement was the ability for one single member, in this case, Matt Gates, to bring forward a motion to vacate, to vacate the chair, to remove the speaker with a straight up up or down majority vote. And that was one of the conditions that Speaker McCarthy agreed to from the farthest right extremes of his caucus in the House. He agreed to it in order to win the job of Speaker in the first place back in January, after it required 15 votes for him to win uh, to win a majority. Only four Republican members were needed to, uh, to oust McCarthy in the motion to vacate. Actually, uh, five. They, if, if five people had flipped from one side to another, that's how small the majority that the Republicans have here. And they're pretending as though they have a huge majority, as if they are, uh, you know, not barely on the edge of losing every single vote when they've only got, you know, they can only afford to lose Four vote, uh, four votes in these cases. In fact, eight Republicans voted to move McCarthy, uh, who is now officially the former Speaker of the House as of this past hour. When there is no Speaker, as you may recall from earlier this year, after the new session of Congress was gaveled into order, and I'm putting order, uh, the word <laughs> order in quotes there, air quotes, uh, essentially all business in the House is supposed to stop until a new House Speaker can be selected by a majority of the seated members of Congress, which I believe means that someone, Lord knows who at this point, someone is going to have to win 218 votes in the uh, in the House to become the next Speaker. In this case, uh, he was uh, uh, McCarthy was ousted. By 216 votes, he had only 210 in support. 
How they're going to win those extra eight votes to seat anyone, well, Lord knows. After the vote to vacate, McCarthy loyalist Patrick McHenry of North Carolina announced that, according to House rules, he was, in fact, named Speaker pro tempore. Now, this is part of a, uh, a new continuity in government rule after 9-11 that allows a speaker to have a secret list of members who can become speaker pro tem if the speaker, for some reason, becomes incapacitated. So that was the rule that this we all uh, learned about today as uh, we found out that, oh, what do you know, Patrick McHenry is apparently the speaker pro tem. And McHenry announced that, according to uh, House rules, um, he would serve in that office until a new speaker is chosen. He then explained what would happen next, according to those rules. And uh, he sent the House into recess for now before slamming, slamming the gavel angrily down. He <laughs> almost broke it. Here's McHenry. Pursuant to Clause 8B3 of Rule 1, I'll now, now act as Speaker pro tem. The chair will inform the members of the House the following. The office of the Speaker was rendered vacant pursuant to the adoption of House Resolution 757. Upon a vacancy in the office of Speaker, Clause 8B3 of Rule 1 provides that the next member on a list submitted by the Speaker, pursuant to the rule, acts as Speaker pro tem until the election of a new Speaker, and bestows the authorities of the Office of Speaker upon the Speaker pro tem to the extent necessary and appropriate to that end. In the opinion of the Chair, prior to proceeding to the election of a Speaker, it will be prudent to first recess for the relative caucus and conferences to meet and discuss the path forward. Accordingly, pursuant to Clause 12A of Rule 1, the Chair declares the House in recess subject to the call of the Chair. Slam. Yeah, he slammed that one down hard. Yeah, he's mad. So um, that brings you sort of up to date, uh, by and large, as to where we are right now as we go to uh, as we go to air. And even how they proceed from here is unclear, since there ha this has never uh, happened before. As Josh Marshall writes uh, over at TPM, there is some uncertainty among parliamentarians about precisely what happens next. The consensus seems to be that it's a replay of January, all that uh, person, the pro tem, is allowed to do is to elect a new speaker. So again, he says a replay of January. What puts some muscle behind all of that is that the speaker is part of the constitutional line of succession. It's actually a national security issue to have someone who is uh, able to fill in as the speaker as needed. The pro tem can't be in the line of succession. So that's why they actually need to have a new speaker. And for both of those reasons, Josh says we appear to be on the cusp of a January replay. Oh, goody. So it's all uh, clear as, as, as mud at this point, other than the fact that the House is pretty much ground to a complete halt until another speaker can somehow be selected. It's even possible, by the way, that former Speaker 
Kevin McCarthy could become speaker again. Yeah, he could be the only person that they eventually, the Republicans eventually all can once again agree on after many, many rounds of fighting well, about it. Well, I think it's unlikely that the Republicans are going to agree on it. However, Democrats could come along and and help Kevin McCarthy out. <laughs> now, why would they do that? They have almost certainly no reason to help him. I don't know why they would do it, short of the offer of some sort of power-sharing agreement, which has been discussed in uh, the past few days, that somehow, for example, they could have 50-50 on the, uh, the House committees somehow. If that was offered to them, I suspect the Democrats might at least consider voting in his favor in this narrowly divided House. That might be enough uh, to get him back in that seat, but that would simply further enrage Republicans, I suspect, so they'd all likely vote against McCarthy at that point. But who knows? And, of course, why would or should Democrats help McCarthy out here? given that McCarthy had flatly broken his agreements with Democrats and with President Biden on all sorts of things in just the past few months, including that government shutdown that was threatened, that continuing resolution. They had an agreement. Uh, McCarthy had an agreement with Joe Biden that was struck earlier this year that they would pass a continuing resolution if they could not come up with a uh, with a spending bill. And, by the way, don't forget, McCarthy had unilaterally declared an impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden with absolutely no evidence of wrongdoing at all by the president. So, yeah, what would be in it for the Democrats to help McCarthy out of this mess at this time? But this is your Republican Party, 2023. Welcome to it. This is the party who appears to be dead set on... Also, nominating a man charged with 91 criminal felonies in four different jurisdictions to be their nominee for president of the United States next year. This is a Republican Party in disarray. This is a Republican Party in chaos. And I think back 10, 15, 20 years uh, that I have been doing this and warning that the Republicans were going off the rails and I was called a partisan at the time for doing so. No. I was trying to warn that this was a Republican Party going off the rails. Well, now they're off them. And by the way, are they still trying to impeach Joe Biden? I don't think any of that can proceed until a House Speaker is selected. And to be frank, that might be a blessing in disguise for the Republicans. Their impeachment effort is uh, not going particularly well, shall we say. Democratic Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett of Texas, a member of the House Oversight Committee, which is which has been taking up the House Republicans so far evidence free impeachment inquiry. She spoke for a lot of Americans, I think, last week during that first hearing in uh, in this phony impeachment inquiry. That was held after that it was called by McCarthy unilaterally by McCarthy after he promised he would never do such a thing unless there was a vote on the House floor. He did it anyway. And it comes after five years of federal investigation by a Trump appointed U.S. attorney. And three different GOP led House committees over most of the past year, none of which have come up with evidence of wrongdoing by Joe Biden. And so uh, Jasmine Crockett 
of Texas, seemingly she had enough. She simply called out the House Republicans for pretending there is a reason to impeach Joe Biden for some phony national security reasons, even while those same Republicans are completely ignoring the fact that Donald Trump actually did stuff like, oh, I don't know, stole thousands of pages of national security documents, stored them in his bathroom at Mar-a-Lago, lied to the DOJ and FBI about them, moved them around so his own attorneys would not even know that he still had them. And he is now facing some 37 federal criminal felonies for that crime alone. Among the 91 total that he is facing, uh, even as those very same Republicans still support him as their 2024 presidential nominee. But, of course, that's a Republican Party that uh, voted to oust their own speaker today. So Congresswoman Crockett, she had a word or two on all of that uh, last week that I think is worth hearing if you if you didn't uh, if you missed it. As she held up photographs of those boxes of stolen documents in the bathroom and the ballroom at Trump's country club down in Florida. And as she defended Joe Biden for having done nothing more, apparently, than loving his one remaining son. When we start talking about things that look like evidence. They want to act like they blind. They don't know what this is. These are our national secrets. Looks like in the shitter to me. This looks like more evidence of our national secrets, say on a stage at Mar-a-Lago. When we're talking about somebody that's committed high crimes, it's at least indictments. Let's say 32 counts related to unauthorized retention of national security secrets, seven counts related to obstructing the investigation, three false statements, one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, falsifying business records, conspiracy to defraud the United States, two counts related to efforts to obstruct the vote certification proceedings, one count of conspiracy to violate civil rights, 23 counts related to forgery or false document statements, eight counts related to soliciting and I could go on because he's got 91 counts pending right now but I will tell you what the president has been guilty of he has unfortunately been guilty of loving his child unconditionally and that is the only evidence that they have brought forward and honestly I hope and pray that my parents love me half as much as he loves his child until they find some evidence we need to get back to the people's work which means keeping this government open so that people don't go hungry in the streets of the United States and I will yield she is Damn. good <laughs> yeah she is good jasmine crockett from texas uh at last week's silly impeachment inquiry hearing in the house uh so you know uh where does this all go from here who knows more they, chaos uh, That's more chaos uh who knows if they get back to impeaching joe biden when it comes to donald trump's crimes uh here's what the republicans have to say about that Crickets. Nothing. Nothing. They don't care. They are busy eating their own, just like crickets do. Do crickets eat their own? I think they do, and they they might as well for this. They might as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, we don't know. Nobody knows where this goes uh, at the moment. We're going to have a very bumpy ride in the days ahead, unlike the totally smooth one we have had up until now. (laughs) And uh, to be frank, i got to say, I'm not even sure where today's show goes from here. 
after the Speaker of the House has once again been removed from his post by his own party just minutes before airtime today. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back with the B Block and whatever we can salvage in it. And, uh, well, uh, this part I know, a Green News report with Desi Doyen will be back at the back end. So there's that. So everyone, cheer up. (laughs) I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. I think it's best if you leave. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Why? Do people get hit in the ass with it a lot? It's just an expression. Oh, I'm kind of worried about this door now, though. Just leave. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from <laughs> BrandBlock.com. That comes from our uh, friend Casey, who uh, spun that together apparently on very short notice uh, as a uh, parting gift for former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Don't get too excited, Casey. Kevin McCarthy may be back. He's still a congressman, by the way. He doesn't have to leave Congress. Yeah, that's true. He's just, he's from California. Did you know that? <laughs> Did anybody uh, anyway, know that yeah. California actually has more Republicans than any other state, at least as far as registered voters are go-, go? Excellent point, Desi Doyen. All right. Uh, anyway, setting aside that breaking news from the top of the show, uh, let's go to the GOP's problems outside of Congress, namely their front runner for the 2024 presidential nomination, who continues to make news day in, day out. We don't always cover it, but we'll do it today. Donald Trump's ongoing and worsening legal problems continue. You have likely heard that Trump has been attending the $250 million civil fraud trial in Manhattan that he is facing against New York State after the attorney general there, Letitia James, has charged that he inflated his company's net worth by billions of dollars in order to get favorable rates on bank loans and insurance and so forth, and that the uh, judge in the non-jury trial, and there's no jury, it's just the judge, because apparently Team Trump forgot to ask for a jury trial, but you've heard that the judge in that trial has already ruled that Trump and his company and his two eldest sons, Eric and Don Jr., had all committed fraud. And the judge has moved to place the company, uh, the Trump organization and and so forth, into receivership in New York. Well, Trump has been attending that trial because, A, this case is likely freaking him out because he uh, stands to be put, frankly, out of business entirely, at least in New York, and B, so that he can badmouth the attorney general and the judge and threaten them in hopes of them either being harmed or building an excuse for himself uh, for his duped MAGA base when he and when and if he embarrassingly loses just about everything in his New York real estate empire that we now know was built on lies. So uh, we won't be playing. Don't worry. We won't be playing any of his uh, remarks here, at least today. The corporate media seems to be falling over themselves to do so because apparently they have learned nothing in the past eight years of the Trump era. 
But if time allows, we may we may play some audio about Donald Trump today. But even even Trump, at least in theory, will not be able to say quite as much as he was able to say before a ruling by Judge Arthur Engoron in that case this afternoon, again shortly before air, placing a gag order on the former president. As the New York Times reports late on Tuesday, the New York judge presiding over Donald J. Trump's civil fraud trial ordered the former president Tuesday not to attack or even comment on court staffers uh, after Mr. Trump posted a message to social media targeting the judge's law clerk. Trump attacked the clerk, Allison Greenfield, shortly before noon on his Truth Social website. His post was a picture of Greenfield, uh, Greenfield with Senator Chuck Schumer, the Democratic majority leader in the Senate. Trump mocked Greenfield as, quote, Schumer's girlfriend, unquote, and said that the case against him should be dismissed. The post was taken down. During a lunch break on Tuesday, shortly after a closed door meeting in the room where Trump is being tried. Uh, Justice Arthur Engron explained what had happened after the break, he, though he did not name Greenfield or Trump, referring to him only as a defendant. Quote, personal attacks on my members of my court staff are unacceptable, inappropriate, and I will not tolerate them under any circumstances, he said. Engron uh, said his statement should be considered a gag order forbidding any posts, emails, or public remarks about members of his staff. He added that serious sanctions would follow were he to be disobeyed. The judge, who was known for keeping a light-hearted atmosphere in his courtroom, spoke gravely, the Times reports. He noted that while Trump had taken down the post, the former president's campaign had sent out a copy of it in a disparaging email to millions of people. Sent out a photograph of the judge's uh, clerk to millions of people. Trump has uh, spent much of the first two days of the trial attacking Justice Engoron, Greenfield, and Letitia James, the New York Attorney General. James filed a lawsuit that led to the trial that began on Monday, accusing Trump of, quote, staggering fraud in the way he inflated the values of his assets as a way to gain favorable treatment from banks and insurance companies. Former president's social media posts have become an issue in several cases against him. It's not just this. F uh, federal prosecutors have accused Trump of seeking to steal the uh, 2020 election. Well, the Times has overturned the 2020 election. <laughs> of course uh, But they do. those prosecutors in the federal case have also asked for the judge for a gag order, citing his threatening statements. Uh, so uh, also he's done something similar in the uh, criminal case against Trump in Manhattan. This case is the civil case where the judge made this ruling today. Uh, in the criminal case against him, the uh, judge has restricted the former president's ability to post about some of the evidence in that case. In a pretrial ruling, Engron already found that the former president was liable for fraud and dissolved the companies that he uses to run his New York properties. What remains to be determined now at the trial is whether the former president and his fellow defendants are liable for the other illegal acts and whether there will be any further penal, uh, uh, punishment.
Uh, Attorney General James has asked the uh, Justice Engron to fine the defendants a minimum of $250 million in that case. And there was one more Trump legal matter that I wanted to try to get to today. A news item that I wasn't able to get to on yesterday's program with our guest Marilyn Marks discussing the Coffee County, Georgia voting software breach by Trump operatives that uh, Marilyn had discovered and we broke originally on this program before the matter eventually made its way to Fonnie Willis and her attention in Georgia where she indicted five people involved in that crime, including Trump and Sidney Powell. If you missed the interview yesterday on the show, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to our kind listener donors. But on Friday, a federal judge denied requests made by Trump co-defendants in that Georgia case, Kathy Latham, David Schaefer, and Georgia State Senator Sean Still, to move their prosecutions in the Fulton County racketeering election interference case to federal court. In this case, they were claiming that they were somehow federal officials when they served as fake Donald Trump electors for the 2020 election, and therefore (laughs) their case should be moved to federal court. Which is kind of insane. Hey, we're fake electors, therefore we think we're federal officials. I mean, I know their lawyers have to say something, but still. Well, uh, U.S. District Court Judge Steve Jones uh, did not buy the argument either. Uh, made by the trio, uh, that they were somehow entitled to have their case moved from state to federal court. Judge Jones concluded that party-appointed party appointed state electors who cast an electoral ballot are not tantamount to federal officers, even if they weren't phony electors for the candidate that didn't actually even win the state. Remember, yes, they were electors, but only if Donald Trump had won. So they were fake electors, phony electors, definitely not federal officials. Quote, according to the judge, quote, by design, presidential electors cannot be individuals who hold a place of trust or power or authority from the United States and thus do not meet the office of trust category of being a federal officer. Jones wrote, additionally, the role of the presidential electors is to meet in their respective states, cast their ballots, and transmit them to Congress. There is nothing, he writes, about these actions or the text of the Constitution that gives a presidential elector authority or command over any federal activities. Accordingly, including presidential electors within the category of federal officers, is inconsistent with the plain meaning of the word officer. And although electors, quote, are engaged in a federal function when they meet and cast their ballots, that is insufficient, he wrote, to make someone a federal officer. To find otherwise would convert all citizens who can lawfully vote into federal officers when they cast their ballot for U.S. House of Representative. Who knew I was a federal officer? (laughs) Uh, Earlier on uh, Friday, Judge Jones also declined to move co-defendant Jeffrey Clark's case to a federal venue. Uh, And he actually was arguably a federal officer. Jones said in a 31-page order that Clark, uh, who as an attorney 
at the DOJ, Trump had attempted to install as attorney general just before January 6, after Clark had drafted a letter for the DOJ to send to the state of Georgia, falsely claiming that the DOJ had found evidence of massive election fraud in the state. The uh, judge ruled that Clark had failed to meet his burden of demonstrating that removal of the prosecution by the uh, Fulton County DA to federal court was warranted. Clark, Clark is charged with two counts as part of that sweeping racketeering case in Georgia. And as journalist Murray Wass reported after last week's guilty plea in Atlanta by Scott Hall, which we discussed in detail on yesterday's program with Marilyn Marks, the woman who actually recorded Hall's confession to her about the entire Coffee County voting system software breach. Uh, about that, Murray Wass noted that a bombshell of sorts was buried in the Scott Hall indictment. He notes, on January 2 of 2021, Hall and Jeffrey Clark, who then headed the Justice Department's uh, Civil Rights Division, had a 63-minute phone call together. Clark was an architect of attempts to overturn the presidential results and has also been charged in the Georgia case, undoubtedly, uh, given Hall's decision to plead guilty and cooperate with prosecutors in exchange for no jail time. Well, prosecutors now know what was said during that conversation between Hall and Clark. Apparently, Clark talked talked to Hall for 63 minutes about nonsense that Hall was claiming regarding fraud that they were finding in Georgia, which they weren't. And then Clark marched straight into the attorney general's office with a letter that he wanted the AG to sign, falsely claiming there was fraud in Georgia. That seems to have come from Scott Hall, who some people were saying, oh, he's uh, small fry, small potatoes. No, as Marilyn Marks told us yesterday, he knows a lot up and down the ladder. And in exchange for not going to jail, he will now have to tell prosecutors everything he knows about everybody, whether it's Jeff Clark, whether it's Sidney Powell, whether it's Rudy Giuliani or anyone else. So um, Kathy Latham, meantime, she was one of those three who were fake electors but are not federal officials. Uh, she is, uh, in addition to being uh, rejected on Friday as a fake elector, she was also the former Republican chair of Coffee County, Georgia, and she helped to facilitate the breach, the voting software breach, where they copied the voting software and sent it out across the Internet to do Lord knows what with it. And Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger hasn't done a damn thing about it to counter that threat. Anyway, uh, we all know uh, that, that she was involved in the Coffee County breach because, again, Marilyn Marks' lawsuit uh, challenging the use of touchscreen voting systems there turned up the evidence that Latham lied when she claimed in her deposition in uh, Marx's uh, suit that she had only been at the uh, Coffee County Elections Building for about five minutes. In fact, security camera surveillance footage that was obtained by Marx in the case showed Latham was there for hours during that breach and had lied in her deposition about it. And even as uh, Marilyn mentioned yesterday, had been seen on those cameras giving a back rub 
to Scott Hall. So, yeah, she had been there for a while. So if I was Kathy Latham and, frankly, a whole bunch of others indicted in that Georgia Rico case, I would right now be frantically trying to make a deal with prosecutors right around now. And I suspect a whole bunch of them are if they are smart. How smart they are, well, that remains to be seen. (laughs) In other news that needs more attention than uh, Trump's lies at his own fraud trial, uh, where, again, he's already been found guilty on the major fraud count, uh, there is this from uh, CNN today. Retired U.S. Marine Corps General, former Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, and Donald Trump's second and longest-serving Chief of Staff, John Kelly, offered his harshest on-the-record criticism of his former boss, the disgraced former president, in an exclusive statement. This comes on the heels of Trump's recent comments that his own chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, should be executed for treason. So uh, John Kelly finally confirmed a number of the damning stories about statements that Trump made behind closed doors attacking U.S. service members and veterans that uh, Kelly had witnessed Trump make firsthand. He said, quote, what I can add What can I add that has not already been said, Kelly uh, said when he was asked if he wanted to weigh in on his former former boss threatening uh, Mark Milley. He said, quote, a person that thinks those who defend their country in uniform or are shot down or seriously wounded in combat or spend years being tortured as POWs are all, quote, suckers because, quote, there is nothing in it for them. A person that did not want to be seen in the presence of military amputees because, quote, it doesn't look good for me. A person who demonstrated open contempt for a Gold Star family, for all Gold Star families on TV during the 2016 campaign, and rants that our most precious heroes who gave their lives in America's defense are, quote, losers and wouldn't visit their graves in France. A person who is not truthful regarding his position on the protection of unborn life, on women, on minorities, on evangelical Christians, on Jews, on working men and women, Kelly continued. A person that has no idea what America stands for and has no idea what America is all about. A person who cavalierly suggests that a selfless warrior who has served his country for 40 years in peacetime and war should lose his life for treason in expectation that someone will take action. A person who admires autocrats and murderous dictators, a person that has nothing but contempt for our democratic institutions, our Constitution and the rule of law. There is nothing more that can be said, concluding God help us. Well, as it turns out, he he actually did have uh, plenty more to say, (laughs) it seems. Yes, he did. I wish he would have said it earlier, but I'm glad he's saying it at least now. And this was the guy who helped and protected Donald Trump for years, as you as you know, Des. I mean, you know, while president in the White House, John Kelly certainly protected him. Good to know how he really felt. In confirming one story after another after another that we have heard about Donald Trump over the years. Uh, uh, and, and the things that he actually said. That was 
John Kelly actually confirming all of that. One one is from a, 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 a book called The Divider, Trump in the White House, in which Trump, after a trip to France in 2017, uh, reportedly told Kelly that he wanted no wounded veterans in a military parade that he was trying to have planned in his honor. When Trump reportedly told Kelly, quote, look, I don't want any wounded guys in the parade. Uh, yeah, uh, he went to Arlington and called the uh, dead soldiers there suckers for signing up for the military in the first place. For his part, asked for a reaction to the suggestion that he deserves execution. General Milley told Nora O'Donnell of 60 Minutes that he would not, quote, comment directly on those things. He said, but I can tell you that this military, this soldier, me, will never turn our back on the Constitution. But as it turns out, Milley also had a bit more to say during his farewell address that he gave at a ceremony uh, last Friday in which he stepped down from his post after four year, his uh, four-year term. He was replaced by a new chairman, Air Force General Charles C.Q. Brown. Milley responded to Trump's attempted intimidation by thanking President Biden for his, quote, unwavering leadership. He said, quote, I've seen you in the breach. I've seen you on the watch, Millie told the president. And I know firsthand that you're a man of incredible integrity and character. After thanks to the president and the vice president and to his colleagues and friends and family and good wishes to the incoming chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Millie went on to explain his principles for the nation. He didn't mention any names here, but it was nonetheless clearly a Sharp rebuke to the former president and those who would abandon our democracy in favor of a dictator. Today is not about anyone up here on this stage. It's about something much larger than all of us. It's about our democracy. It's about our republic. It's about the ideas and the values that make up this great experiment in liberty. Those values and ideas are contained within the Constitution of the United States of America, which is the moral North Star for all of us who have the privilege of wearing the cloth of our nation. It is that document that gives purpose to our service. It is that document that gives purpose to our lives. It is that document that all of us in uniform swear to protect and defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That has been true across generations, and we in uniform are willing to die to pass that document off to the next generation. So it is that document that gives ultimate purpose to our death. The motto of our country is E Plutibus Unum, from the many come one. We are one nation under God. We are indivisible with liberty for all. And the motto of our army for over 200 years, the motto has been, this will defend. And that this refers to the Constitution. You see, we in uniform are unique. We are unique among the world's armies. We are unique among the world's militaries. We don't take an oath to a country 
We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or a queen or to a tyrant or a dictator. And we don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. We don't take an oath to an individual. We take an oath to the Constitution, and we take an oath to the idea that it's America, and we're willing to die to protect it. Those who sacrificed themselves on the altar of freedom in the last two and a half centuries of this country must not have done so in vain. The millions wounded in our nation's wars did not sacrifice their limbs and shed their blood to see this great experiment in democracy perish from this earth. No, we, the United States military, will always be true to those that came before us. We will never, under any circumstances, turn our back on our duty. From the earliest days before we were even a nation, our military stood there, it stood on the wall, it stood in the breach, it suffered the crucible of combat, and it stood the watch and defended liberty for all Americans. Each of us signs a blank check to this country to protect our freedom. The blood we spill pays for our freedom of speech. Our blood pays for the right to assemble, our due process, our freedom of the press, our right to vote, and all the other rights and privileges that come with being an American. We, the American people, we, the American military, must never turn our back on those that came before us. And we will never turn our back on the Constitution. That is our North Star. That is who we are. And that is why we fight. That was now former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, pointed to the post by Donald Trump, giving his not too uh, thinly veiled <laughs> farewell remarks there as he finished his term as chair and peacefully transitioned to his replacement, General C.Q. Brown, the nation's first African-American to serve in that role as appointed by President Joe Biden. The good fight for democracy continues, and we are happy to um, laud comrades in that fight wherever we can find them. And on that note, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with a few not insane, not autocratic, not dictatorial, and perfectly sane thoughts from Desi Doyen <laughs> in our latest Green News Report. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I told you I had no idea where we were going, but I knew that we would end up one way or another on time-ish for Ish. our latest <laughs> Green News Report. This is the third time since I was sworn in two years ago I've had a once-in-a-century storm. New York City floods again. From Minneapolis to Mexico, bizarre extreme heat waves set new September records. Plus... All it takes is one big event in a high-concentrated area, and you will see... 
financial collapse. Home insurance bubble could burst as climate disasters strain insurance markets. Oh, great. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. In the next 10 years, with the right policies and an experienced leadership in the White House, we can reclaim our role as the leading energy producer on Earth. Oh, you mean like we already are, Mike Pence? Thanks, Joe Biden. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we were off for the Green News Report last week due to the second GOP presidential primary debate, and it was so stupid <laughs> that I don't even want to talk about it. It was just Republicans yelling and screaming for more oil and gas, pretending climate change doesn't exist. So what do you have when it comes to actual energy and environmental news today. Desi Doyen? Well, first up, bizarre September heat striking around the world over the last week. In Minneapolis, for example, the Twin Cities Marathon was canceled due to extreme heat. And in Mexico, they set a new world temperature record for the month of September, topping 118 degrees. Um, In September. In September. In New York, Governor Kathy Hochul declared a state of emergency after torrential rains on Friday unleashed flash floods and widespread disruption across the entire New York City region. As we've seen multiple times this year, the surprise storm dumped two months worth of rain in hours, overwhelming the city's infrastructure, flooding sewers, streets, the subway system, a terminal at LaGuardia Airport. JFK Airport set a new all-time high rainfall record. Central Park has now broken its hourly rainfall record three times in two years, which Governor Hochul blamed on the climate crisis. We know this is a result of climate change. This is unfortunately what we have to expect as the new normal. It makes us be more prepared than ever before, and it requires us to focus on resiliency, to head off the horrific impacts that could be there if we're not ready for the next storm. Yeah, good luck with that. The newest disaster in New York underscores how our 20th century infrastructure was not built for 21st century climate impact. A new report by nonprofit data firm First Street Foundation warns that across the nation, storm drains and other flood infrastructure are at growing risk of failure because they're not designed for intensifying climate impacts. In a second study, First Street also warns that about one quarter of all U.S residential real estate is overvalued. Who's doing those assessments? Donald Trump? It's due to artificially low home insurance costs. The insurance premiums don't reflect the actual risk of damages for properties at high risk of flooding, wildfires, and hurricanes. That has pushed major insurers to stop renewing policies in some states, in turn eroding property values. Quote, the changing climate is directly impacting the larger economy through shifts in the insurance market and home devaluation. 
The flood disaster in New York City came just as far-right House Republicans in Congress allowed passage of a short-term spending bill to keep the government open through mid-November. The bill includes critical funding to replenish FEMA's depleted disaster relief and recovery programs and extends the National Flood Insurance Program. Well, as long as no natural disasters happen after Thanksgiving, I'm sure we'll be fine. But some good news. The Biden administration released its five-year plan for offshore oil and gas leasing as required by law. It features the lowest number of auctions in the history of the program. In 2023, just three lease auctions in the Gulf of Mexico, zero in Alaska, and going forward from 2024, no more lease sales at all. Nice. That's the minimum that the administration could legally offer in order to continue expanding offshore wind. Development. At least until Mike Pence becomes president. And finally, in Europe, Ireland has rejected a proposal for a new liquefied natural gas import terminal and an adjacent gas-fired power plant. And Norway has nearly completed the transition to plug-in battery electric vehicles in 2023. According to the Global Carbon Project, nearly 90% of new car registrations are battery electric, about 10% are hybrids, and less than 4% of new cars were conventional gas vehicles. What a disaster. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. We will see. That's the theory. That is. I think it is inevitable that this is going to be the transition that we're going to see. It's just a matter of, uh, I think it's all over about the shouting. Well, there's going to be a lot of shouting between now and then, I suspect. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. We have got to get out. So thanks to our producer, Des. Thanks to Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy <laughs> for giving us something to talk about on this otherwise slow news day. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other we've ever done, you can download all of them for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you kind enough to consider a donation. When you stop by Bradblog, hit one of those donate buttons or just go to bradblog.com slash donate. We Really appreciate it and really need your help. You can drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter. You'll find me at the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a game.